0: If you've got a Bible, open it up to Revelation. Um, Normal practice, I'm not normally here uh, week by week, as you would understand, um, but the normal practice for the church here is to work systematically through different parts of the Bible. And over the last number of weeks, I've been working through the book of Revelation, and Graham, in his infinite wisdom, decided that he would give to me Revelation 17 to 19 for this occasion. Aren't you so happy as I am so happy that I have Revelation 17 to 19. Um, where we are in the scheme of the book of Revelation is that the whole book of Revelation is a picture of what the end looks like. And you so say, what are we talking about with the end? If you think about between Jesus coming to the world for the first time and his return at the end to bring things to a conclusion, it's unfolding all of that period of time, the end of things. But... Now in Revelation 17, we're getting to the end of the end, what is right at the end when it concludes. That's where we're going to look at today and see that as the end finishes up, it ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, which we get to in Revelation 21. Uh, and so what we're introduced here as a point of contrast is what is called Babylon. Uh, Babylon, as I'll explain as we go through is a way we can think about the world as a system that relies upon itself. It sustains itself in a way that's anti-God. And what we're going to see is that Babylon is ultimately going to be destroyed, which will be significant for those who live in the world to see what the ultimate way things play out will be. And with the destruction of Babylon, we will have the moment where the glory of the heavenly city will be introduced. So, in other words, from Revelation 17, we got the tale of two cities. We have the city of Babylon, if you think of it as a city, or the city of the new Jerusalem, the heaven and new earth, that will come down. And every pos- person in this world will be- live ultimately either in the new Jerusalem, heaven, or belong to Babylon, where they're stuck and they'll be judged. The way uh, the writer introduces uh, Babylon is by pointing to what's called the great prostitute. If you've got the Bible there in chapter 17, verse 1, we read, One of the seven angels who had seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters with her. The kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And we say, well, who's this prostitute? We'll look down to verse 5. We are told the title of the prostitute was written on her forehead. And we're told, mystery, Babylon the Great. So the prostitute has a name and it's Babylon. They're one and the same. And it's a, <coughs> na- a way of speaking about the spiritual adultery that people get caught up with. So Babylon, the prostitution, adultery... The spiritual adultery that's behind that. <clears throat> now, some of the imagery is easier for us to work out. In verse 1, we're told about this uh, great prostitute who sits on many waters. If you go down to verse 15, we're told exactly what these many waters are. So we're not confused there. In verse 15 of 17, then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are people's multitudes nations and languages. So in other words, we're saying the great prostitute or Babylon is resides over all peoples of the world. There's no one excluded. All nations, language groups, whatever it may be, are caught up in this Babylonian world that's being unveiled here. And Babylon wants all people to commit spiritual adultery rather than being connected to God. It's going to create a context where you say, come my way and forget about God. And the world's going to be divided into two groups ultimately. Those in Revelation 19, we're told, are going to be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Or those who are staying in Babylon and going to experience the ultimate judgment that is to come. But Babylon, we are told, has something about it that's quite attractive. It's intoxicating. It's something that people look at and it's sort of exotic. And it's easy to be capitulating to its charms. You say, well, what are the charms of Babylon? Well, 17 verse 4 gets us a sense of the charms. The woman, if you can think of in terms of Babylon, was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold Precious stones and pearls. So at that point, it's like the best of the best. You dressed up in extravagant ways. But we're told further, she held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. But on the surface, there's something quite wealthy and prosperous that seems to be at play Here. Uh, it's the economic and material seduction that is offered by Babylon that's at play here. There's a kicker. The kicker is in verse 4 that there's a. Um, we're told that she holds a cup full of abominable things. You can say, well, what's the abominable things? We're told in verse 6, just to make sure we know what we're dealing with here. Verse 6, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who pour testimony to Jesus. So if I can put it this way, Babylon seems to have a lot of things going its way. Wealth, prosperity, uh, abundance, luxury, easy life, all going well, come along and enjoy my charms, relax. But behind it all, what's held closest is the destruction of those that hold on to Jesus. So this is part of the spiritual battle. Come to Babylon, make a home there, but ultimately what Babylon's after is getting people to turn away from God and turn away from Jesus. So we're told what Babylon is, and we're told clearly in verse five exactly what's going on. It says, the title written on her head is Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. The point here is the whole entity in di- uh, that is Babylon is part of the great prostitute's world. Now, the word Babylon has a long biblical history. first time the word is used is in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And it's a way of dis- describing the Old Testament, everything that stands against God. It's the powerful, self-promoting, Self-absorbed way of coming to the what's in the world and staying with it. It's a perversion of God. It's the anti-God way of things. It's a foundation you build upon in the fallen world that seems to make everything seem right. It's a society that absolutizes its political and economic prosperity so that God is no longer needed to be found. If I can put it this way, to make it clear, the world says you can make it work for you. What you have in the world, you can make so that you have everything you need and you can have it all come your way. And guess what? You don't need to worry about God because the world's got everything you want. You don't need to worry about the God things. Oh yeah, you can keep the God thing if you like, for the emergency situation. We've got to press the button when things go really right. But most of the time, you can do it yourself. You've got the capacity. Now at that point you say, well, why is this a mystery? Notice in verse five, we're told that Babylon is a mystery. And you say, well, what's the mystery here? Now it's not mysterious like a puzzle to be solved when the Bible speaks about a mystery something needs to be revealed that if it's not revealed you wouldn't know about it so I'll give you an example I have a reason my middle name is as, as it is okay my middle name is Lindsay at point unless I tell you I have no rhyme or reason to explain why, why I've got my middle name it's very simple would you like to know my father's First name was Lindsay, so therefore my middle name is Lindsay. My son's middle name therefore, by definition is what? Peter. I have just revealed to you the mystery of the Hayward middle name. (laughs) Has your life changed as a consequence of that? No, but I've told you a mystery that otherwise I hadn't told you, you wouldn't have known. Well, the same here. If we were not told the nature of what Babylon is like... We could easily be seduced by it, but we've been revealed, we've been told, so that you can see for what it really is. And it's attractive, but don't be seduced by it. It says, come my way, I'll make it work for you. It'll be okay, and I'll make it possible for you to enjoy life, and you don't have to worry about God. But Babylon will not last, and that's what's been revealed here. Babylon will finally be destroyed it will destroy itself in many ways but seen aright, the awe inspiring sweeping power that Babylon offers is unstable and self destructive and with that we turn to Revelation 18 which explains the destruction of Babylon and also tells us why we can find it so attractive though it's so hollow and so deceitful We are told in Revelation 18 that something happens where a great angel makes an announcement. Verse 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendour. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. The significance of having a great angel make an announcement is this listen up. Big moment. A big deal's about to be said. Listen carefully if the great angel's saying something. And what he's going to say is the attractiveness of Babylon needs to be seen for what it really is. People must know the charms and not be sidelined on them. Must see the reality that Babylon will be judged and will not last. You can't build your life on an eternal foundation that will disappear. And the response for the people of God, who listen to this, is found in verse 4, 18 verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven said, Come out of her, my people, so you will not share in her sins, so you will not receive any of the plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. So the response will be ultimately, come out, and we'll come back to that in a moment. So what we're told about Babylon is exactly what I said. It's doomed. Fallen, fallen in verse 2 is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird, for all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. What's behind all this? And we keep on going to make the same point. Babylon seems to offer so much. So much potential. You're almost drunk with your possibilities that the Babylon the world will give to you. And you can hear the call, you'd be a fool not to follow its ways. It works for others, doesn't it? Why wouldn't I be attracted to it also? And part of the selling proposition, you can make life work for yourself. You've got the capacity if you get the right circumstances with the right resources with the right finances. You can look after your life and need nothing else. And there's a no seductive attractiveness to that. And that's why we need God's revelation, because it seems so right. It seems so possible. But Babylon will be judged and it will be taken away. And when the judgment of Babylon comes, we get an insight to what's being lost and actually the nature of why Babylon is so powerful. And there was two people who mourn here. There are the leaders of society who ultimately are seen to mourn when Babylon falls. And secondly, we got the economic leaders of society who mourn when Babylon falls. And there's two laments in verses 9 to 10 and then verses 11 to, se- <coughs> 11 to 17. So first of all, society leaders in verses 9 to 10, chapter 18, verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, that's all these words, luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her, terrified of her torment, they will stand far off. Woe, 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 great city, O oh Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. The leader society built so much on the hope that Babylon would continue. They'd put so much store that they could make this work forever. Uh, and we have leaders always that they can sort of promote a world that will last forever. Back in the 20th century, there was a man who came to try and build something for a thousand years. Remember him? Adolf Hitler. How long did that last? But we keep on thinking we can build something, we've got the capacity, we've got the ability to do something that will be substantial and make a difference in the world, but ultimately the kings of the world will see it all falls by. It will not last. Self-importance and self-promotion will be thrown away. But it's not just society leaders, it's economic leaders who also get caught up in this when Babylon falls. And we introduced in verse 11, they're called the merchants of the earth. But listen to what they pray, what they do. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles, of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice of incense, myrrh, frankincense of wine, olive oil of wine. And I might say, all your shares in Apple and Amazon, all your superannuation, all your financial deposits, all your trades that sustain your life, all gone. Everything you thought would hold up your life disappeared. And that's why they're mourning, because everything they thought was so important to keep them going, all gone. All the luxury items disappeared in a puff. And there's no insurance policy can cover this. You can't hedge your risks. You can't mix manage your assets so to make sure that it all can get by. You can't have different things put in different places to recover. It's gone. And the point of this is, if you find your life's meaning in the riches and wealth that you think will keep you going forever, know this: it will be destroyed in an instant. It will not last. (coughs) If you think you can find meaning for life by hanging on to these things. The revelation here is that it will go, it will disappear. If we had another massive financial collapse and all our financial wares that we rely on disappeared in an instant, what would be your response? Mourning or rejoicing? We'd have to adjust, wouldn't we? But ultimately, we don't put our store in that, do we? Or do we? So, what's the picture here? When Babylon falls, no one is left untouched. The overall picture is consistent. Everything about Babylon seems so attractive. People are wanting to attain Babylonian life. And what's Babylonian life? I have everything I have to control my life so no one else can deal with, I have to, I don't want to rely on anyone else. I can make my life configured so that I'm in control. It offers luxury, wealth, where the whole life is reduced down to what I can see and what I touch. And that's all life is. And Babylon says, you can do it. Come my way. I'll make it work for you. Settle down. Make politics your aim because you can rely on politics to get the world that you think you need. Get your finances because if you've got the finances, you get the world that you know that will be reliable. This is all you have, isn't it? Make the most of it. There's nothing else. And Babylon keeps reducing our world so that we never look up. Nothing beyond itself. Self sustaining, self fulfilling, that's all you have. Your only hope for life, if you build on Babylon, is hopelessness. Because once the deception is removed and it exposed what it is, it disappears in an instant. Did you notice twice in verse 9? Um, verse 10, it says, Woe, woe, A great city of Babylon, city of power, in one hour your doom has come. And verse 17, it said the same, In one hour such great wealth has been brought to ruin. It seems so monstrously powerful. The whole political and economic world that we can rely upon, guess how long it takes to go? Just like that. The illusion is so powerful, it needs to be exposed what it is. It can go just like that. It can vanish. And so the call of the people of God is again in verse 4. Come out of her, my people. So you will not share in her sins. Come out of her. What does that mean to come out of Babylon? Well, clearly... You can't remove yourself from our world. I live in this world as you do. How can you live in a world that's Babylonian but not be infected by Babylonian ideals? Well, it's not the encouragement for Christians to withdraw into a Christian ghetto and create this Christian world where you have everything Christian, you know, and disconnected from the world and protect yourself and put barriers up, so that that's not talking about. Fleeing Babylon that way Fleeing Babylon is this I live in Babylon But I don't march to Babylon I live in Babylon But I don't find my meaning in Babylon I find my meaning in The Lord Jesus Christ Following God's direction I ultimately belong to the city to come The New Jerusalem And that's where my hope is My hope's not found in making sure I've got the security of my finances and the political world that makes my life all work out. It's found in God and God alone. And so to deal with the deception of Babylon, we need the truth, the truth, the truth. The Bible keeps saying, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. The truth is this. Babylon will be destroyed, and the city of God is what you rely upon. And that's what we get to in Revelation 19 when we finally see the city that is to come introduced. Revelation 19. In Babylon, the city will be removed, and the new city where we'll find our final home will be brought into being. The reality, however, needs to keep on being reinforced. The pursuit of social, political and economic ways making life work seems so powerful because you don't need to rely upon God. Babylon Kitchen saying, follow my way, I can make life work. You don't need to worry about God. You've got the capacity, you've got the ability, you can do it. But our hearts are dulled and it's hardly worth following Jesus because he makes no difference. And if everyone else is finding their way in the world, why can't I? Well, Babylon does fall, and the announcement's made here in verses 6 to 8. 19.6 Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters, and like loud peals of, th- peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Who ultimately reigns? Babylon? No, who reigns? The Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. And we describe this new, wonderful world that we're going to inhabit as a wedding. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The angel then says in verse 9, The angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And added, these are the true words of God. The blessing here is extended to all those who be inhabitants, for the age will last through to eternity. And the words to stop and make us ponder is the idea that we are those who are going to be invited. Remember I said, blessing of those are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb there is Jesus. The wedding supper is the bride, is the people of God. But normally you don't invite the bride to wedding, do you? When my wife Julie is here, she didn't get an invitation to come to her own wedding. You don't normally do that, dear Julie. It would be great if you turned up for your wedding. But here the bride is invited because the bride is those who have accepted the invitation from the lamb to belong to him. And the overwhelming moment of being belonged to the lamb overwhelms John, and we finish in verse ten, where he says, "At this, I fell at the feet to worship him." That's the angel. But he said to me, "Do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you, and we the brothers, are brothers. A whole to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of <coughs> prophecy." And here, embedded here, is the problem and the solution for all that's been found in Babylon. The only worship that will last is the worship of the Creator. The problem with John falling at the feet of the angels, worship worshipping the creation itself. And that's what Babylon's about. Worship what you find in the world. Worship so that you don't have to think about God. Worship what we deeply want in our hearts. And all of us get encumbered with this. We want well adjusted and contented families. We want resources to make our life pleasurable. I want a contented prosperity, not too much, just enough that I can do my thing. And we know that, you know, I will be satisfied if I can just have that. If I just have the right circumstances, my health is just okay, my body's in shape and I can enjoy things if the bank account gives me enough freedom to do things and I don't feel like I'm too much over the top. where I can just have the sort of right work and the right retirement and I can breathe the air with a satisfied air and say, this is so good. Everything's just what I want. And we know that I can do it. I feel agitated that others seem to do it. I want it too. I can't get it. It seems so lucid. But I, I know that I've got the power and the capacity. If I can just find the right society, the right circumstances, the right finances. And what do I find if I follow that direction? What am I worshipping? Anything but God. Our hearts can be gripped by what is false as John fell at the feet of the angel. So the deceit needs to be exposed, and the right worship is say, "I am completely satisfied with you God, and you God alone are enough for me. You God is the one who I give my life to and who trust in and who's sufficient. There was one faithful and true throughout his life, never wavered in his devotion to God, even to the point where he gave up his life on a cross. That was true worship. Jesus is the only true and faithful and true witness who never succumbed to the allure that Babylon seems to offer. By his life and death, he exposes the world the falsehood that's all in our hearts. And we take hold of the one who is faithful and true to the very end. And so the testimony of Jesus is the true worship we are to finish with. Babylon seems to have so much, and we're all attracted to it. It will disappear, but Jesus will last forever. Amen.